0: Okay, as you're uh, wandering back from getting refilled or refreshed or whatever, uh, we're going to turn to uh, the book of Acts, and I want you to follow along with me for uh, a a quick recap, just to make sure we're on the same page when we come to this new chapter. It's only been since mid-May, that we started Acts chapter 1. So it's been a long while in the first chapter when you're trying to <clears throat> break it up and uh, capture all the pieces of it. That's, that's an important uh, important piece to set in place in terms of its background. So uh, here's what I would invite you to do. If you have a Bible with you, good for you. You're prepared one way or another, either, either a, a hard copy or an electronic version. Or whatever it may be, I want you to just kind of reflect with me for a few moments on on the first chapter. What we've encountered up to this point. <clears throat> um, we've we've taken a look at, 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 you, at. None of none of this. You don't have any information on this, so you're just going to have to listen and see if it rings a bell from previous times. If you if you haven't been with us, uh, I invite you to go to the website. There you'll find the messages recorded. Usually I, we, we're, we're good. Okay today. And uh, also a very helpful feature is that there's the study outline there as well. So if you're looking for something to you know pay attention to as you're listening, that, that's helpful as well. <clears throat> Understand, of course, that the Book of Acts is written by Luke, the physician who attended Paul and journeys, and they wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then continued the ongoing story in the Book of Acts. So we've looked at, first of all, we've been we've stepped back and looked at what the mission of the church is all about, and we've talked about that from Gospel of Matthew 28. We've seen that. Uh, as a, a prelude to, or as a statement of great commission. And uh, the vision has been to use the phrase that came out of general counsel this year, all of Jesus for all of the world. And I like that turn of phrase. It's a very good turn of phrase. We've looked at the plan that uh, Luke lays out. <clears throat> Actually, Jesus lays out, Luke records Which is the strategy for uh, moving the the message forward, moving the 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 church forward? Um, John Stumbo, you is the president of the Alliance, and when he first came into office, he he captured a phrase that he has repeated and kind of dwelt with, and he refers to the Alliance as a Christ-centered Acts one eight family, and so that's a part of the family. A plan, if you will, where we serve communities uh, that we are parked in, we are planted in, we multiply church networks in terms of multiplication, even though the church deals with division, multiplication is a better word to use, and then developing people. We looked at the circles of Acts 1-8, where we are told that we are to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Eskatu, ends of the earth, the, 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 wherever it is that God takes us. And so that Acts one 8 becomes like a roadmap for us for the book of Acts, where Jerusalem and Judea are chapters 1 through 7, essentially. Um, chapter 8 deals with Samaria and what goes on there. And then chapters 13 to 28 deals with the ends of the earth. So we've looked at those pieces. We've also talked about the experience of the ascension of Christ, and what that did for the church and what it means to Christ, what it means to us, I can—I won't give you the litany of things that are part of that. You'll have to go listen to the message, and that will have a little more detail to you. So the question that we are asking, of course, is what in the world are you watching for? The angels say, This same Jesus that has taken up from you into heaven will return. And so there is the promise of his return. That's all prelude to the second chapter. These are just experiences, glimpses that are part of the first chapter of Acts. We've looked at the work of the church in verses 12 through 14, and that work has been focused on prayer. You we cannot we we cannot get away from the the place and the priority of prayer in the local church. You you can't Otherwise, you end up trying to do the work of God in the arm of the flesh. It just doesn't. It, you can you can make it look something like church, but it won't be church alive. It won't have the power, and that's we'll get to in a few moments. But uh, as we reminded you, the church really is born in prayer meeting. There is a book that was written by a, a, a fellow by the name of Armin Geswine. And uh, when the Alliance was first starting out with their colleges of prayer, we attended a few of those down in Toccoa, uh, Georgia. And uh, it was always a, a privilege, a privilege to just kind of sit and listen to the wisdom and experience of Armin Guesswine in terms of the work of revival and renewal that occurred in churches uh, he's had opportunity and service in. And then his heart for. The, the role of prayer. Uh, this book is called "With One Accord in One Place," and it's a it's a reprint. It's a new version. And I'm going to leave this. Well, I'll, I'll either I'll put it back on the literature table. If it disappears, that's good. But just remember that it's intended to be shared. If you really desperately want one of these for yourself, talk to me and I'll make some arrangement for you. Uh, but uh, "With One Accord in One Place" is the heartbeat of uh, Armand Gesswine, now in the presence of the Lord. And uh, so he doesn't have to worry about prayer. I, I, I think he's more focused on praise at the present time. But uh, at any rate, that's uh, that's an excellent work and focuses upon the priority of prayer. We looked at the groups that were at work at the church. In terms of the 11 remaining apostles, Mary and the other women, and the brothers of Jesus, they are all part of verses 13 and 14. We've seen in verse 14, the front part of it, the description again, the characterization is the word we use, the prayer. They all join together constantly in prayer. That, That might be a good slogan somewhere. They all join constantly together in prayer. Whatever translation you use, their prayer was unanimous, harmonious, and continuous, and that's all part of where we're at. And then, and then we got to the exciting church business meeting at the end of the first chapter of the book of Acts, and we talked about the polity of the church—that is, how the church conducts its business. Acts chapter one is a record of several firsts; it records the first business meeting, records the first recorded prayer, and um, it. What's is it, that me? Oh, okay. I didn't know if God was trying to cue me in on something or not here. So, okay. So a, a series of firsts. The first recorded prayer is in this particular section. And so the way that the church did its business. Some people view church meetings as just right up there with root canals. You know, you just love to do those things, you know. Um, but... Uh, they don't have to be that way, but they were having there for a specific purpose. And several things about that. Uh, first of all, it was tethered to the word. Uh, they had a biblical basis for the way in which they carried out their polity. It was covered in prayer. Verses 24 to 26 talked about the process and the outcome. And despite the fact that that first chapter may have been, a, the last half of the first chapter may have been a little uh, unexciting in terms of having to conduct business. There were some things that are clear in there that are good for us to remember. And first is that they acknowledge the omniscience of God, the language of verses 24 through 26 says, Lord, you know everyone's heart, and he still does. He still knows our hearts and knows our needs. Um, It says that they sought direction from God. Their prayer was, Lord, show us and they yielded the results to God. They cast lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias. Now, I hope you didn't go out this week and buy lottery tickets a lot just because we talked about it last week. So I have no idea who won, if anybody. All I know is it wasn't me because I didn't play. So, I did, so anyway, but lots or lottery is a... Uh, Is a way in which determination was determined, was uh, decisions were made in Scripture, and that's a whole other issue. If you missed the message last week, I'll give you a bigger, bigger load. So this is kind of like standing in front of a fire hydrant and this quick review, and going, you know, here we are. You get it all. All of this leads up to Acts chapter two, and we're going to cover verses one through four, if we're lucky, okay, and then we're going to go, we're going to go from there. So. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, good for you. Turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read the first four verses of this portion of Scripture. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I want to talk to you today about Church Alive, Power from on High. Everything that occurs in the first chapter of the book of Acts, is building up to the event of the second chapter. And without that second chapter event or experience, everything that was nice and well done and machine-operated in the first chapter would just continue to go on and on and on if it did not have that presence of the Spirit of God that showed up in the body of Christ. I remember when I was growing up, I had a Bible, and uh, when you went to the book of Acts, it would say the Acts of the Apostles. I don't know if you've ever recollected that. Maybe you have it in your Bible. Mine just says Acts, so they've condensed them. It used to say Acts of the Apostles. And someone has said that it might be more appropriate for be a title for the book to be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it, the rest of the book, the rest of the book of Acts un, un, unfolds a, a variety of unusual experiences and encounters with God by using people who are empowered by the spirit of God, who, who are anointed, who are filled with the spirit of God and able to do supernatural things not because they have power but because they are able to be vessels through whom that power of God works and so we'll get to we'll get to all these wonderful stories Nate was sharing about the healing of his sister and 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 and, and you and you you rejoice with that you say oh god that's amazing that's 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 a, that's wonderful, it's it's cool, it's neat, it's 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 unbelievable. It's and come up with the descriptions. But when God shows up in a given situation, you just it just blows you away. You were just breathtaking. It's like, wow, how about that? And the, the disciples gathered together with a smaller group and then 120 or however many people there are eventually in all of this kind of setting. They're coming together with a sense of anticipation. They know what Jesus has said, but it's all building up to this event that that, that almost, I, I, I can't say takes them by surprise because they shouldn't have been surprised. Because God has shown up in the past through the work and ministry of Jesus, and he's made a promise. I want you to go and I want you to wait. You'll be clothed with power from on high. That's going to come. They should have known, and they probably did. They had a sense of expectation, but it was the acts of the Holy Spirit, and nowhere is that point made better than Acts chapter two. So, let's move into that part. So, let's take the first few verses of the of the second chapter. The first phrase, actually, when the day of Pentecost came, uh, some translations might. Uh, might say, uh, King James, I think, puts it, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, uh, you can blow right through that, and uh, when we think, what is Pentecost? We think that, well, yeah, that's the event that we celebrate when the Spirit of God was given to the church who had followed the orders and were waiting well so that they were going to be closed on clothed on high, but Pentecost is is a Greek word that translates an event that is got a lot of Old Testament roots to it, and it seemed like in the scheme of things, when God wanted to do some special things, He would uh, wrap those things around seasonal events that He had through the Scriptures. For instance, we talked about Passover uh, when when Jesus Comes to Jerusalem and uh, celebrates the supper, Last Supper, with his disciples. It's all around the Passover event. And that was anchored to an experience in history when the people of God experienced the deliverance from the death angel, and that death angel in the book of Exodus passes over their people where they are protected by the blood of Christ over the doorpost. That Passover was a commemoration, it was a holiday. It was a celebration, and the Jewish fest—the Jewish uh, calendar is filled with festivals that go on, uh, events that happen that have reminder significance to them. We're going to celebrate this next week, the 4th of July. Now, that has nothing to do with the sci-fi movie, a resurgence of something or other. It's not, it, that's not what it's about but it's anchoring us to an event in history when we celebrate, we constantly remind ourselves, purposely remind ourselves, that we celebrate the independence of our nation. When, when this group of people are gathered together, and it, and it happens that this, this day of celebration comes, for them it might be better to have put it as a, a Jewish feast day, what was called the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. That was an event that was a calendared event where the people of God would consciously, remember, purposely remember an event that was prescribed for them to observe the goodness and bounty of God to them as a people. And so they would observe this Feast of Weeks and literally it, 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 it means 50, 50th, um, we've got a Feast of Weeks coming up for the strokes here, coming next Saturday, in terms of the 50th anniversary. The, the Jews called it Feast of Harvest or Feast of Works. It's mentioned five times or five places in in, in first five books, which is interesting enough. They've called the Pentateuch. You know, we have a Pentagon, so you ought to get the idea now that it has something to do with five. Literally, it does with 50. And so Exodus 23, Exodus 24, Leviticus 16, Numbers 28, Deuteronomy 16 all talk about that particular celebration. And it has to do, because of the agrarian, the the rural, the farming nature of the people of Israel in that setting, it talks about uh, how they celebrated harvest, early harvest and later harvest. Feast of weeks is one of the early harvests. It's the harvest of the wheat it's the beginning of the harvest of the wheat. And so it was a time of celebration. The early, early harvest came during the months of May and June. And the final harvest comes in the fall. But it's in this early month. And that Pentecost was the celebration of the beginning of the early wheat harvest, which meant it always falls sometime during the middle of the month of May or sometimes in June, depending on how the calendar falls. There are several festivals, celebrations, or observances, which took place before Pentecost. We've talked about Passover. There was also Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Firstfruits. The Feast of Firstfruits was celebrated at the beginning of another harvest, the barley harvest, not the wheat harvest, but the barley harvest. So different grains, and they would celebrate the goodness of God. And you figured out the day when Pentecost came, according to the Old Testament, you go to the day of the celebration of firstfruits, and then begin with that day and count off 50 days. So there's our 50. There's our Pentecost. In the, in the in the picture and that 50th day would be the day of Pentecost so first fruits is the beginning of barley harvest Pentecost the celebration of the wheat harvest it was always 50 and so it became a let me check your math here seven days in a week seven weeks seven times seven is nine and then the Pentecost day, that day is the day of, of first fruit. They would sometimes describe it as that's when the celebration was, if you will, consummated. That's what that's when the party began. Yeah, uh, Mike's got a shirt on says Sunday Fun Day, so that would be an appropriate shirt to wear on Pentecost, uh, on that feast of weeks kind of thing. So, when it is fully come is the language of that scripture, and they called it. Either the Feast of Weeks or a Feast of Harvest. Take your pick. There are three things about that that are helpful. It might be helpful for us to understand. First of all, this was one of three pilgrim festivals. It was it was required that all males, all Jewish males, had to go to that feast. And so that accounts for how all these people were coming To Jerusalem. How all these people were gathered together? They were gathered from all over the place. We'll run into some of those. Uh, When you come down to verse 5, for instance, it says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. It was a pilgrimage festival. They had to attend. It was required celebration, required attendance. It was also a holiday, like we will observe the 4th of July, and in theory, it's a holiday where you don't have to work. Now, some people don't. Have that privilege or luxury. It, but at any rate, that was a celebration point. Pentecost was a holiday. No servile service, servile work was to be done. School's out, shop's closed. It's party time. And that's all setting up to this coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, there were prescribed things that they were supposed to do. I, I was so tempted to try to figure out a way in which I could create a smell of bread. Oh, nothing beats fresh bread. Bake bread in terms of permit. They, they tell me that if you want to sell your house, you bake bread and you just get that aroma in in the house. I'm assuming don't burn the bread, but bake the bread, you know, kind of thing. And and that that has a, a kind of an appeal to it. So it was a part of the celebration, and they would bake. The high priest was to take two loaves of freshly baked bread from the wheat that had been harvested. And offer those as sacrifices before the Lord. That's all part of the freight of the feast of weeks, the freight of Pentecost. So it was a harvest celebration. Now, Luke uses a word here. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, our translation may not put it that way. It means to completely fulfill. It had been fulfilled. As the King James puts it, the day of Pentecost had fully come. So it was it was. Everything was in place, and we're coming up to the event. It's like coming to church, and you have an 11 o'clock hour service, and you're coming with a sense of anticipation that at 11 o'clock, something good is going to happen. You're going to run into the chance where you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be built up in the body of Christ, and you're coming with a sense of anticipation and expectation. He's telling us in Acts 2 that what happened on the day of Pentecost is a fulfillment of what the Old Testament harvest celebration was all about. He's telling us that the Old Testament celebration in connection with the wheat harvest was the foreshadowing of the events that are going to happen imminently in Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 is really the most important chapter of the book of Acts. Now I know there's other parts that are important. But if you don't have the event of Acts chapter 2 and the the coming of the Holy Spirit, nothing else matters. it's, it's, It's all about him. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, then you have another phrase that says they were all together in one place. Now, if we have a celebration to observe, then... We also here in the second part of the first verse have marvel to behold. Someone has said that it's possible that this would have been one of the few times the church was ever together in unity. I have been a pastor for a long while now, and most of my ministry has been in this district. Over the course of time, I have served on a variety of different committees, District Executive Committee, Licensed Ordination Consecration Committee, and whatever other committee, Thy Way Unto the Lord, I've been involved with. Okay. In, In those years of opportunity to serve, I have been involved in more disunity problems than I would prefer to have been involved in, where the people of God didn't act like the people of God. They act like a carnal people, but not a spirit-filled people. And so there were things that went on and you had conciliation and you had discipline and you had a whole bunch of other things that went on to try to help get a church through through the weeds that it was in. And one of the things that would be undescriptive of the church at that point in time, a church in that point in time is that they weren't of one accord in one place, to use the phrase by Armand Geswein. And that's tragic. You remember if you go back to verse 14, it says they all joined together constantly in prayer. There is no shortcut to unity in the church. There's no mystery to it. It's simply a function of joining constantly in prayer together. There's there's no substitute. You can't manufacture it. You can't make people think like you and act like you and be like you. (laughs) You think that would be the solution, but it's not. You can't make them. It's all a function of coming under the power of God and waiting Waiting until they are clothed with power from on high. Dale Moody said, Behind every work of God, you'll find some kneeling form. Behind every work of God, you'll find some kneeling form. Are you looking for, are you longing for the work of God at City Light Church? You can say amen, but the question is simply this. Are you part of a kneeling form behind that? There's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. And it's a marvel to behold that they were in one accord, in one place. It, it becomes almost like the the answer to prayer for Jesus' high priestly prayer. Of John 17, he said, "Father, I pray that they all may be one as we are one." It's a it's a blessed place. It's a blessed place to be able to come together. And it's a favorite word that you that Luke uses. It's his favorite word to describe the early church. It means to have your hearts and minds joined together. King James puts it this way: They were all in one accord with. All together with one accord, and it was the first mark of the Pentecostal Church. It was the first mark: unity. Not not glossolalia, not speaking in tongues. Not it was unity. There was a description. Uh, Armin, guess why? will tell you that as you go into chapter four uh, of that particular book. He'll he'll address that issue. And that is a unity of body together, spiritual, emotional, doctrinal, means with one accord, means they were all singing the same chord together. I I really love the worship today, the the songs Rebecca selected just fit like a glove to where our hearts are, where our need is. It means they were hitting the same notes. They're singing the same tune. There's no private harmonies. There was some good harmony. There was no dissonant harmony this morning, at least that I could hear. Uh, it, it means that they were like one mighty chorus together. And such a thing is an amazing thing. It's further explained, I think, that unity in, in chapter 2, when you get to the end, in verses 44 to uh, 46 says, all the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You hear that word together, together, together quite a bit there. And they were in unity together. Um, it's tragic, interesting, it's interesting, but tragic, that not too far after this event, you have another book of the Bible, the book of Hebrews, that offers a word of caution. And he says, Don't neglect the gathering together of the body as the manner of some is. So they needed to be reminded about the importance of unity in the body of Christ. It was a marvel to behold. It's a marvel. Whenever a body of Christ is able to pull together in unity, sometimes crises or challenges like pastoral transition can capture our attention. We can say, oh, God, we need your help. We didn't need it before. We were doing just fine. But Oh, God, now we need your help. Now, we we think we didn't need it before. We certainly know we need it now, and it's our need. Sometimes those things can bring us to a place of pulling together Unity together, so we all sing the same song. Now, we get into the part that some of my Pentecostal brethren love to get into in Acts chapter 2, and that's the fireworks that begin. So, moving on. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house, where they were sitting, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So here's an experience that amazed, an experience that amazed. Verses 2 and 3. What they heard and, and, and the language, uh, in our day, when people talk, when, well, let's, I can't say this. When some people talk, particularly a younger generation, every phrase begins with like. You know what I'm It's like. It's like. It's like. Well, it's interesting that in this particular chapter, that's the word that's the default word. How do you describe the, the presence of God? Well, it's like something. And you try to find an earthly explanation for some kind of supernatural event that occurs or an experience that happens. And so what they heard was a sound like something. Uh, When we wrapped up uh, one of the messages I last week or two weeks ago, I can't remember. But uh, the wrap-up of the message was uh, talking about a reference back to Ezekiel chapter 37. We talked about dry bones. And, and, and so Acts chapter 1 can become like everything's in place and the, the bones are all right there, but they need to experience something. In Ezekiel 37, and uh, uh, just as a reminder point, let me get that real quick. Um, it talks about a message to Ezekiel. says, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, to the breath prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So he, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a, a vast or a mighty army, Ezekiel 37. So I, I was saying that it's like everything is in place with the bones in place, and these, these characters have to live, and... And Acts chapter 2 is what happens to make things come to life. And so he says, I I heard something that was like. And it it references back to John chapter 3 as well, where it says, he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So then they describe what they saw. It seemed to be like tongues of fire distributed among them they were Matthew chapter 3 and Luke 3 talk about the promise Jesus makes that I'm going to he'll be baptized baptizing his people with, with the Holy Spirit or with and with fire. These were signs of the coming. They are not to be confused with the event. These were the signs. the tongues that come are incidental, but the coming of the Holy Spirit is essential. And you get that one locked in. Sometimes people talk about, you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost yet because you haven't spoken in some kind of ecstatic utterance. An ecstatic utterance, whether it's language or ecstatic experience, is a sign, but it's not the event. It's an indication of the presence, but not the fact that the Holy Spirit is there. You can have, you can have the incidentals, but you cannot afford not to have the essential in terms of the coming and person of the Holy Spirit. G Campbell Morgan, an old British preacher, calls the book of Acts the glorious regularity of the irregular. The glorious regularity of the irregular. In other words, God was was up to doing things that just didn't always fit the prediction schedule. Uh, it was like whoa, whoa! So you've got you've got miracles in chapters three and other chapters where 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 business has been bring them to the water. I can't get in. I can't get and suddenly God shows up in some irregular way and just chooses to demonstrate His power. It was that experience that brought them sense of amazement. Now, one final piece, and that's an empowerment that transformed. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongue other tongues as the spirit enabled them. This was the event of the coming of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter two, uh, Peter will talk about uh, verses sixteen through 21, he'll talk about how this event was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Scripture. One other thing of interest is that this Feast of Weeks, this Feast of Harvest, is also the feast in which it was celebrated for the giving of the law in the Old Testament. So the place and role of the law, the Word of God, in this whole process is key as well. And that's where Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's a it's it's a fulfillment in terms of this event, and it empowers them. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That's that's a key piece. That's a key component for us as Christ followers in City Light Church in 2019. You can you can you can anchor back to an experience in the Old Testament or in the New Testament days when the coming of the Spirit was given. When the Spirit was given to the church, and it empowered them to do things. But we need that same Spirit in our life today. We cannot rest upon what happened in the past. We've got to have it now. We've got to have it today. We've got to have it for our living, this daily walk with Christ, particularly when we hook this coming of the Holy Spirit to the to the to the fulfilling of Acts 1.8 in terms of you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. If anything that if anything is true about this coming of the Holy Spirit, it is simply this: that this particular event transformed these people into harvesters. Into harvesters. In other words, they ha- they had all the all the stuff they needed. Accept the Spirit of God to empower them to do the task that Christ enabled them, enables them, calls them to do, be my witnesses, and you'll receive that power. And so Acts 1-8 rolls the story out in terms of how all this harvest occurs. Interestingly, if God empowered this group of people to be harvesters, and celebrated it, hooked it on to the feast of harvest. The feast of weeks. Interesting. So when we come to Pentecost, we're not Jewish enough to know all of the feel of things in terms of feast celebrations. But for, for this group of people here, this picture of people who are coming into the field to harvest is a is a is a real one for them. It transformed these men these women, into harvesters for God. Now, this account explains the changes that were made in the lives of Christ followers, transforming them from cowardly, fearful, doubting, hesitant disciples into flaming evangelists for Jesus Christ who are ready to lay down their lives for him. It's that same power, the Holy Spirit, that's available to us today, today. It's essential for us in accomplishing the task of harvest in our day. One of the tasks of City Light Church these days is going to be to determine, God, what do you have for us to do? In some ways, that's not a mystery because we've been given mission, command, that. that, That's not a mystery. We're to be harvesters where God has put us. And until God comes up with another plan for City Light Church, our task is to simply be about the harvest. Jesus said, look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. And we're praying, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. God's heart is for us to be harvesters all harvesters all and he does that by the empowering and emboldenment of the holy spirit of God I was going to I was going to give you some stuff from A B Simpson on the holy spirit He is a two volume work the first volume is the old testament second volume is new testament he talks about the symbol of baptism, this fire that comes, and he talks about only had ten different things that it meant, you know. So I could probably preach a whole other sermon on that one, but the power of the Spirit of God and the work of Christ in us. Now, what do you do with Acts two one through four? You say, okay, hey, that's that's the momentous event in the history of the church. Yes. But the language of that scripture says they were all filled, all. Not just the elders or the deacons or the Sunday school teachers. They were all filled. There were no spectators. They were participators. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the things we're going to be coming back around on is how does this work for you? Do you know that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we tell that? How can how can we tell? If 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 we were to sit and do a one on one, and I were to ask you a question, can you tell me how you know you are filled with the Holy Spirit? You could say, well, I speak in tongues. Well, that's nice, but what else is there? And again, that's a whole whole another issue. Uh, a, a lot of things that we can use, but we're going to come around on that again. So that we've just come past verse four doesn't mean we're done talking about being filled with the spirit because that's essential for city light church. So we're going to bring the service to a close by using a song that we sang earlier. Uh, come fill this place and fill the atmosphere. So we're going to come into his presence and offer ourselves a and afresh. And if as you sing that song, you, you sense the need for that new and fresh filling of the Holy Spirit of God. You simply offer that prayer up to him, and he will not disappoint you. All who come to him, he's not going to turn you away. He's going to give you, because as a good father gives good gifts to his children, to the Holy Spirit, he gives that to us anew and afresh. Let's pray, and then we're going to close in in worship together this morning. So, Father, you are the one who knows our hearts and our needs today. And you are the one that we long to experience by the person of your Holy Spirit. And you know our desperate need. You know our need. You know the need in this place today. And there's no substitute. We can't substitute good works. We can't substitute good intentions. We have to acknowledge our need, our indispensable need of you by your Holy Spirit. So we welcome you here, even as we bring this service to its close. Move our hearts to the places of availability to you, and filling by your precious Holy Spirit so that we can be harvesters all. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We stand a man amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene who by... Precious gift of the Holy Spirit of God is able to empower us to be witnesses and harvesters. We have come into this place to worship. We now exit to serve. And wherever it is that you lead us this week, may we welcome you so that you will empower us be witnesses of all that you've done in us and through us for the greater glory of God. So may your grace and your mercy and your peace from God the Father, God the Son, God the blessed Holy Spirit rest and abide upon us. In the name of Christ we pray and all God's people say Amen and amen. Go in his grace. Be sure you greet one another as you go.